it's still the year 2021, and the church is acting like it's 1519. That's when the church had to deal with the bubonic plague. Almost two years into this pandemic, we're doing our best to help the church into a post-pandemic future. We are hybrid pastors for a church that doesn't know what to be. This is the Millennial Pastors Podcast. We're back. Welcome to season two. We promise we weren't ghosting you. It's been a while, hasn't it? How long? Like, I can't even remember the last time we we set up our podcast studio, which is like a setup. What would we call this? Like a traveling... It's a pop-up studio it's in the basement. It's a pop-up studio in our basement. <laughs> yeah, it's been since May, the beginning of May, when uh, I remember we went to remote learning on May the 12th as the pandemic hit its peak third wave here in Manitoba. And things got bad, real bad. And it was really... <laughs> but the main thing for us... It was really hard to podcast with kids at home who don't like it when mom and dad aren't paying attention to them. So podcasting got put uh, to uh, the back burner while kids got an education and staying sane got put on the front burner. Safety first. Yes, keeping kids alive first. Stay alive, stay safe, stay healthy. Uh, just a real life. Bon Jovi's living on a prayer. We'll make it, I swear. Halfway there. Here we go. Don't quote too much of that song, otherwise we'll have to pay royalties. Anyways, we should probably talk a little bit about where we are now. Uh, Six months or so since we last talked about the pandemic. We were, you know, well into the third wave. Things were looking pretty dire across... uh, Canada, North America, but uh, things have changed quite a bit. We had uh, a lot of new developments in the world of pandemic and pandemic ministry and just life in general. Probably the big thing that happened in May is everybody got needles. Well, not quite everybody, but most people got shots. Shot, shot. Everybody come down for your shot. And that has changed a lot of how we are living and how we are doing things. We're still waiting for those kids under 12 to get their shots. But on the whole, life is starting to look more, I won't say normal, but more busy. And there's more activities and there's more things that we're able to do. I remember that lockdown that came shortly after our last episode. There were times when here in Manitoba, they were airlifting patients to other provinces. I think even a few across the border to North Dakota. And uh, we weren't even allowed to be in the same household as anyone else. We were, we were stuck to our own households and very limited in where we could go and what we could do, which is a pretty dramatic change to where we are now. Hugely dramatic, and I think, like so many things throughout the pandemic, there has always been this sense of, you know, the tide has turned, or we've turned a corner, 
or we're getting back to normal and there has just been one setback after after the next and the third wave was was definitely one of those pretty significant setbacks here in Manitoba for sure and for other places around the country and around the world is the sense of um I thought we were I thought we were going to be done with this pandemic and the pandemic keeps coming back to say we're we're not quite finished yet. I remember uh the first time people started feeling that way after the first quote unquote wave when we had I don't know 75 cases in total through the whole first few months of the pandemic and we finally got to the end of the school year and we had our sort of uh pandemic free summer here in Manitoba with you know almost two weeks of no cases at one point and very minimal till the end of August and people were ready to sort of say you know life has come back to normal even at that point little did we know that the pandemic had a lot uh, worse things in store for us which we talked about <laughs> throughout our first 11 episodes. Yeah, I think that um, certainly with the rollout of vaccines, there was a sense and the promise and the hope that as more people are, are vaccinated, that will mean a, a resumption of life of being able to resume seeing people, of being able to hug people, of being able to uh, go out and about to concerts and to sporting events and into larger larger groups and, and to resume in-person worship and church life. Um, and then, as we all know, Delta happened. <laughs> and once again, having to walk back what our what our hopes and dreams and expectations were for the fall. Sure. I mean, let's let's unpack that a little bit. Um let's talk about what that's been like to to actually have shots in arms and for sort of where it took us. Um I think during the first year or year and a half of the the pandemic before the shots were getting in arms before the there was a widespread uh, distribution of vaccines after the first wave after the second wave people were imagining you know okay now we can get back now we can do the things now we can start behaving like things are normal and then we hit that third wave even in the midst of a you know a pretty intense vaccination program um and and what I found interesting is now we actually had sort of the the foundation to think about moving forward, planning new ways of doing ministry, planning for hybrid ministry, uh, you know, recognizing that we we're going to have to stay in line in some capacity, but there was more things that we could start to doing. We're not restricted here to staying just to your own household, but all of a sudden, you know, group size caps were being raised. Um, Mass mandates were lifted briefly in the summer, but are back this fall. And and a lot of it had to do with, you know, if you are vaccinated, you can do these things now. You can go to these places. You can be in these groups. And what I found interesting is the impact that that had on 
our decisions for ministry and how we thought about what we were going to do, uh, at least in our congregation, and I know also with, with colleagues and the like, that it wasn't as sort of back to normal the way we had hoped in those other waves. I think there was some hesitation and caution along the way. Yeah, I would dare to say some realism, <laughs> right? Uh, fool me once, right? Um, but fool me through four waves, and now who's looking like they're foolish? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that part of it is to practicing, right? N- no one, no one had practiced living through, living in the midst of, being a pastor in the midst of, being a person of faith in the midst of a global pandemic. I think it was sort of low-hanging fruit, too, to complain or to desire or to, to push for a return to normalcy when you really sort of knew in the back of your mind that it wasn't as realistic or possible or likely or long term as sometimes it was made out to be or the intention, right? We need to get back to, you know, X, Y, Z. And the reality is everybody around the table kind of knows that getting back is not possible at this time. And then all of a sudden when it is possible, oh, maybe I'm not so excited to just run back to huge groups of of no social distance, no masks, no anything. And and isn't this not new for the church, right? And the example that is coming to mind is how the church uh, and our and our people uh, talk about young people, right? We want the young people back. What are we doing to bring the young people back? And spending a lot of time and energy uh, bemoaning, right, or lamenting, <laughs> Um, the fact that there are fewer young people, young families, children in worship as part of our congregations. But then when they come, it being a bit of a struggle to figure out what to do with young people and how to engage them and what changes are actually necessary in ministry in order to have young people in and engaged and a part of our life and ministry together. If we're going to take seriously what it means to be the people of God, doing the work of God out in the world and in our communities. It's easy to long for something, right? To look at the the green grass on the other side. But then when you actually get there and you're like, okay, now this is happening, that is a different reality and often doesn't match the, the hopes, the dreams, the longings, you know, that it's easier to, it's easier to want something that isn't possible than it is to, to strive for something that is possible and make that, that dream a reality. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, foundational work, right? Laying groundwork, laying ground rules, <laughs> listening, discerning, praying, um, not just getting in there, right? Not just moving to the action, 
part of ministry, but the laying of the groundwork and evaluating what are, why are we here? (laughs) What are our needs? Who do we have, right? What are the resources that we have to work with? Exactly, right? And and it just it's just not flipping a switch back on and everything goes back to the way it was. It's making a new thing happen. It's it's imagining a whole new way of being. And you know, I think when people imagine you just put the switch back on and everything goes back to the easy way it was before, it's not it's not it's sort of shocking to get to oh we used to know how to do these things. We used to know the coffee just got set up and there was always somebody to fold the bulletins. And we didn't know, we didn't have to check people in or keep records or make sure everything was clean or, you know, assure that, oh, there's only one household per pew before. We just sort of did all this stuff on autopilot. And now we have to think about everything, every step of the way, who's going to do it, how's it going to be managed and how's this going to work. And these things that we've been longing and dreaming for become infinitely more complicated. And exhausting, right? And we have talked about this before, but I think it's worth mentioning again that it's not only in churches where this is the case, right? I had a very involved member of the congregation write to me as we were making plans to return to in-building worship and said, I'd love to return to singing in the choir but I'm just not willing to do that while we still have to wear masks because I'm tired. I'm tired of wearing a mask all the time. And it wasn't trying to convince us to not wear masks. It was just naming where they are at in in their life, which I can absolutely understand, right? That you're wearing a mask eight hours a day for your for your job, for the safety of the people that you're working with. Anytime you go out into public, you're wearing a mask and it's not great. I wear, I continue to wear a mask while leading worship um, for uh, the safety of our congregation. And it's hard. It is harder to preside. It is harder to preach. It is harder to sing with a mask on, right? Not impossible, (laughs) but it is, it is harder, right? It is a barrier. And so recognizing that we're doing these things not only in our life in community together as churches, but that those pieces are being navigated and negotiated in pretty much every single facet of our lives. And so, of course, there is an element of, of exhaustion that people are managing and that people's capacity, which is another piece that we need to be aware of in our ministry and in our lives together is what is our capacity Um, and that if people don't have the capacity it's not necessarily a piece of people not wanting to or not desiring to do it or or not being willing to do it but it just not being possible because of people's capacity or an organization's capacity at that moment in time Oh, absolutely. I, I, you know, people have been tired. People have been exhausted. I'm tired. Um, and that's just such a common refrain among folks these days. And, you know, I could hear it. We, uh, the vaccination program was rolling out through May, June, July, August here in Manitoba for the most part. Uh, you know, by the end of August, it was really getting down to like the last 10, 15% of eligible 
uh, folks. And so, you know, the numbers of vaccines, but, you know, in May, I think I went on one of the busiest days of the clinic and we both did to get our first, uh, first doses. Sure. And, and what was interesting about that is, you know, we, we could have started back to church not long after that. You know, there was a lot of people vaccinated by that point. Um, the, the numbers are going down and the restrictions are being lifted ever so surely. But I remember, you know, our congregation decided to stay online through the summer. And partly, you know, a big part of that was still um, the pandemic situation. Part of it was I was going on holidays and it was easier to have recorded services than, than in-person services. But I also think part of it was people were just getting, you know, we'd gone from literally not being able to see people outside of our own household in person to to being able to gather for church and people were just not i think we were not used to or ready for that level of freedom and gathering just quite yet and it took a solid couple months and we weren't so we didn't make any plans for in-person worship until september although it really could have been probably a couple months sooner and there were churches out there that were starting to gather after the you know the 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 in-person gathering ban through uh, may june that were right back to to gathering by july uh, but it took i think it took a lot of us took at least our our folks you know to really commit to let's try this out it took until september to be willing to try this out and and that seemed like a that seemed like about as fast as we could go you know, there was no going any quicker, or faster, or making it happen sooner. That was as fast as we could go as a community. Yeah, I think, too, we had some pretty heavy restrictions until the end of June. And I think for a lot of people, having had made plans and then those plans being unable to happen because restrictions would change between making the plans and the plans actually coming to fruition that um and I was certainly in this group of people thinking is it is it worth putting in the time and energy to make this happen as soon as possible not knowing what the restrictions are going to be or do we save our energy and spend some time ensuring that we have the capacity that is needed so that when the fall sort of start up time comes now part of this i think too has to do with where we live there is a very heavy cottage culture and the city really clears out for the summer um and and knowing that too right knowing that a number of people were saying well, we're not going to be around for the summer and you're not going to be around pastor. So is it worth it? Is it worth it to put this much time and energy when we don't know who's available? I'm not available. You're not available. And we don't know what the restrictions are going to be. Oh, absolutely. Although I do think part of it was that maybe that was a bit of an excuse, like our our Manitoba sort of paring down, down summer when we pull back was a reason to say we're not ready. Like instead of just, cause I think, you know, maybe people couldn't articulate it, uh, but I do think that, you know, whatever, whether it was paring down for the summer, whether it was people being away, there was a part of it was like, it's an easy, 
it was an easy way for us not to have to rush back to this thing that we had said for the previous, you know, 15 months that we're all gearing back for and waiting for with, with bated breath. All of a sudden it was possible in a way that it hadn't been before. And, and we're like, Oh, hold the phone, hold, pull the reins. Like we're not ready to do that right away. I, you know, I just, you know, when I think back to it, I just think there's an interesting dynamic there um, with, with how it sort of unfolded through the summer and, and where we are now. And I don't, I think if we had rushed back, we don't, we wouldn't have been as sort of calmly and coolly and collectively where we are today in terms of resuming in-person activities and in-person worship and in-person ministry. Sure. One of the things that I have appreciated in my own context has been the intentionality that leadership has had in terms of doing one one thing at a time. And so this fall, our one thing has been to resume in-person worship. And we could do other things, but the focus and the priority and where we have put our time and energy and focus into has been in-person worship and building that up and ensuring that we have, you know, all the I's dotted and T's crossed and keeping up with public health and safety guidelines and requirements and public health orders. And it has made that, I think, a lot smoother because we have not had to divide our time and attention with a whole bunch of things that we're trying to figure out all at one time. Absolutely, right? Like, it just was not, it was not in the cards to just, you know, turn the lights back on and we're all back that it was going to take some work and it was going to take some planning and forethought and to have the energy and resources behind that, you know, that work was important. Sure. I mean, maybe congregations where they have multiple full-time paid staff are in different situations, (laughs) right? (laughs) But that we are not. And so I think when you are dealing, even in a multi-staff situation, if it is mostly part-time or quarter-time, um, paid staff people and and mostly a team of volunteers who are um, responsible for overseeing the ministry it I think giving people permission <laughs> to to not have to do everything at once and to say it's okay and even good to do one thing at a time. And we'll know when we're ready. Right? We'll know when we're ready and we'll know when we have that that time and that energy within us because people will start not only asking for those things and asking about them, but also stepping stepping into those leadership roles to say not only, "Oh, I miss having coffee hour after church. Are we able to have coffee hour?" Yes, we are able to. I would like to I would like to sign up to do that. How can I help you? How can how can we work to get that up and off the ground? Um that those are conversations that start happening and then you are able to start filling those gaps because people are in a position where they're they're ready and waiting, right, to participate in that 
part of the community together. Right. And so before we before we talk about sort of maybe what it looks like to be back in person and some of the things that we're each doing, uh, I do want to touch on one of the things that we predicted back in our last episode, which was, I think, a backlog of pastoral care needs. We had talked a little about about that previously, and we have both experienced that, you know, coming out of the summer when people were starting to feel more confident um and 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 maybe like you know they had put off as long as they could attending to whether it was the death of a loved one or in like at a couple baptisms right there was yeah putting off you know our our child we've been waiting to have a baptism for our child for, for four years months, right? <laughs> um and so there was a backlog of some of that pastoral care or even just you know people that that had been staying home all, 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 all of a sudden wanting to have that connection with the ministry of the congregation with the pastor, you know? So there was a backlog that started for both of us sometime in August. Yes. We returned from vacation at the beginning of August. And I joked to some colleagues that August contained all of the regular ministry that would happen in one month, but then also this backlog of the whole time we were away on holidays and then some. And I think, too, also a backlog of people's grief and trauma that people are starting to be able to recognize that what we are experiencing is not only not normal, but not something that's just going to pass us over. And we're going to just get over it. Right. I think that in lockdown, people were even in a way locking themselves down from feeling those, that grief, dealing with that trauma, right? You could almost push it outside of ourselves because we're just stuck at home, right? And so the world has stopped, you know, at least, at least emotionally, we could stop the world for a while, I think for some people. But then once you start going out into the world and once you start seeing family and friends, you know, you can't avoid those conversations about, oh, how are you doing? You know, since so-and-so died, you know, how's, how's your relatives? But also, you know, like whether it, was a, whether it was a spouse or whether it's a family gathering and that person's not there, right? Those things that we sort of could lock away in lockdown, all of a sudden we couldn't avoid anymore. And I, and I really noticed it. I started to notice it this fall with a lot of folks who were starting to, starting to raise up and identify the need to have those moments when they could um, sort of come to peace with something or, or sort of transition, right, to help them deal with and, and, and deal with their grief and have that moment where they're sort of um, passing it on to God and, and and doing the things that we would normally do as a part of a funeral, as a part of gathering with families and all those things in, in, in more normal times. Yeah, so two things come to mind. One, we're really awful about dealing with grief <laughs> in healthy ways, right? Um, culturally, 
and the other thing is most of us have not experienced this type of trauma before in our lives. We may have read about it. Um, we may know others who have experienced um, this, you know, type of trauma. But for so many people in our context and culture, this is new. And so not really knowing, right? And, and I think even for myself, we have been back in in-person worship for a couple of months now and every week I have to sort of remind myself that this is really happening and starting to process the impact of 18 months of preaching and presiding to an empty sanctuary other than my phone assembly, right? The impact that that has had on me. Because as we're doing the things that need to be done to be able to care for our people and the church at large, there's a sense of um, our own selves maybe being being locked down or locked out to have to fully process what this has meant for us as leaders in the church. And that's not something that's just going to happen, you know, at a week-long course, but is probably going to have to take some time and energy and years maybe to process what this really means for us. Oh, absolutely. You know, one of the one of the places that I really saw this the um, the impact of you know um, people starting to process grief is we just had All Saints Sunday, of course, and uh, you know we had talked about with uh, our leaders that um, this was going to be a chance to you know uh, grieve together, maybe for the first time, a number of people from from our community, from our congregation. Um, and so we went in knowing that this is what it was going to be like and knowing that this would be some, you know, for some people, the first time that we prayed together for them and, and were able to sort of console one another. The thing that really surprised me was how, how impactful it really was, you know, and there really was people who had either private gravesides or Zoom funerals or, or nothing, right, came and in, it wasn't, you know, a big, long, extended thing. It was just some short prayers borrowed from the funeral liturgy. But it really was, I think, for a lot of folks, the chance and the opportunity to finally be with their church community, with their extended community, and, and know that, it, you know, their grief wasn't just forgotten and this loss wasn't forgotten, but in fact that the community is and has been and will be with them through this this grieving experience it was really powerful like one of the one of the probably the most um memorable and and deep all saints that i've had in maybe my whole time in ministry well why don't we talk about um why don't we talk about what ministry has been like but before that let's hear from uh our sponsors 
The Millennial Pastors Podcast is made possible by a grant from the Manitoba Northwestern Ontario Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in Canada. The Manitoba Northwestern Ontario, or MNO Synod, is one of five synods in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in Canada, or ELCIC. The synod covers 54 congregations in Manitoba and Northwestern Ontario, from Brandon, Manitoba in the west to Thunder Bay, Ontario in the east, and from Morris on the U.S. border to Thompson, Manitoba, bordering on Canada's north. With a baptized membership of 17,000 people, the MNO Synod is headquartered in Winnipeg, Manitoba. The Synod serves 54 congregations throughout the ministry, through the ministry of the Bishop's Office and working in the areas of youth and young adult ministry, missions, outdoor ministry, social justice, ecumenical relations, stewardship, and guiding ordained ministers and pastors through call processes. The MNO Synod can be found online at mnosynod.org and on Facebook and Instagram. Check them out if you want to find a congregation in the MNO or if you want to know about their work. Check out dictionary.com if you want to know what the word synod means. Okay, welcome back. And so why don't we talk a little bit about what we are both up to this fall with, uh, you know, a resumed in-person ministry and what that looks like. Sure, you get us started. <laughs> so we started our in-person services on uh, September the 12th, which, is, which was a nice uh, post-Labor Day opportunity to begin worship. And... Um, I have to say it's been small but good and you know we we've um found simple um relatively easy ways to to mitigate sort of pandemic realities um you know one of the important things for our community is very musical with singing and so we wanted to make sure that we could uh we could have music as a part of worship and because you know most of us are vaccinated and we wore masks as per the provincial health mandate we decided that it would be not not too risky for us to sing as a part of worship um and so we've had some very good music that's a part of our worship services um we have you know a big large tall sanctuary and we haven't come close to you know really any sort of capacity and so we have the space in the room to 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 have people there and you know the first few services are really nice. They're also really weird. Like I definitely, definitely felt weird and strange. And it was a different experience um, going back to live worship leading. In a sense, you know, pre-recorded worship had become a little bit, you know, it evolved from one take, one take services those first few weeks when I just did what I was used to doing in front of the camera to much more edited and pieced together and sort of Frankenstein like experiences where, you know, I was, I was recording bits and pieces of worship and putting them all together in post, as they say, and turning them into, to worship services, which, you know, flowed together in the online version, but we're not really from my perspective as a pastor, anything like what it was like to lead worship. 
And so I have felt sort of that muscle memory starting to come back ever so slowly during the past number of weeks leading in person. But even then, there's still things to contend with. You know, we don't do, we do communion in sort of a, in a way that works. We have people bring their own elements or or have some prepackaged available and we commune in the pews. And so instead of this time when everybody comes forward and this opportunity to sort of have that moment with, with everybody in worship, you know, communion takes takes 30 seconds while people consume their elements and then we we move on. And so, you know, that's different. Wearing a mask with a headset mic has been a challenge. Um and and I take mine off while I'm speaking and 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 I'm 15 feet away, but I put it on to sing. And so it's sort of this game of taking it off and putting it on and I have a big beard so that gets in the way and and uh, it's, you know, there's complicated things and things that that even as the muscle memory for leading worship and doing that comes back, there's still pieces that remind me this is not normal and not what I have known for, you know, 12 years before that. But this is a new thing and it's different and strange. Yeah, I would share in a lot of those sentiments. I have our congregation as well, where I serve uh resumed in building worship on September the 12th as well and we've had a a consistent worshiping um group that that gathers uh in the building on Sunday mornings as well as a consistent group of worshipers that continues to join us online for our live stream and yeah this idea of muscle memory and and these pieces that we sort of adjusted and adapted to through the pandemic and and really realizing after <laughs> after the fact how n- not normal it was and and also f- feeling a little inauthentic as we think of the liturgy as the work of the people and there were people involved um but in these very piecemeal choppy sort of ways of of people sending different parts of the service in through the week and then editing it all together and and it and it working <laughs> it working but it not being but it not being the ideal um and i think the piece apart from gathering in the building in in person um that has been so meaningful for me has been the interaction with people before and after worship even if it's just waving to somebody as they come in and they're getting they're getting checked in um at the welcome table when they come into worship um we have been we have been uh going outside to greet people after after worship and uh, it's getting colder (laughs) in manitoba and so um but just this this moment this time to be able to say to people each week hi how are you thanks for being here how was your week how are you doing uh being able to joke with people i had only been with the congregation for 10 weeks before we uh broke (laughs) for for um in-person gatherings so being able to uh feel like i'm picking up on getting to know people again has been really life-giving and i think uh mutually life-giving in in our congregation right 
so it's it's not been it's not been sort of life as normal but it's been really about finding a new thing planning a new thing becoming sort of a new way of doing ministry um because it is a sort of a fresh start for us right there is this newness to these things that we're doing and even though they look similar right they carry with them sort of things of the past they are they are new things that we're doing sure it's not back to it's yeah it's um not life as we knew it maybe but it's life giving it's incredibly life giving which i don't know that too much to say that for me that's actually more more important than going back to normal but to have to have something that is life giving no, I think that's important. I think I think that's incredibly important that we are uh doing something that that gives life, right? Now, we've also uh maintained our online presence, which has been one of the other challenges, right? Is that I would have never in a million years pulled out my phone and checked it during the middle of a service. And yet often what I do is pull out my phone while the reader's reading and play the live stream service on my phone, stick it up to my ear and turn up the volume just enough so that I can hear that the sound is coming through, the picture's coming through. And that's just, I know it's sort of crazy. It's just my You're own. such a good and faithful <laughs> pastor. I leave that to my live streaming team. <laughs> it's just my own neuro- neuroses to deal with. But, you know, like this another element to this that we haven't, it isn't just we're all back to in-person worship. That in these past, uh, you know, months, not only have we gotten used to worshiping online, but we I've picked up people who couldn't come to in person because they live in different provinces. Absolutely, other sure, yeah, and I think we're all we're all experiencing that, and we're planning on talking about that in more detail uh, later this season about what that looks like and and what does it mean. What does it mean to resume in-person worship, but still have an online presence? What does it mean to have these sort of two, two, two gathering places, right? One being inside the building and one being, being online or a, a virtual gathering place. Yeah, it's, it, it's, been, it's been a mind trip in a way to talk about hybrid ministry well, knowing that we didn't know when it was going to happen or if it was going to come about, and then all of a sudden to doing hybrid ministry. And and even I find myself, you know, talking to the people on the live stream during the service, welcoming them to worship too, telling them pieces that they can do, because they are still a part of this worshiping gathered community right absolutely they're the invisible heavenly saints that that were there before they are they are actively participating in in the community in a known and tangible way and so it's cool in that sense like i you know i actually often find it sort of comforting to think about you know there's the people here there's also the people who are worshiping with us from afar and we are all part of one worshiping community um it's just a new cool way to think about what it means to be church and what it means for us you know as a congregation to be to be a worshiping community uh and so i really i really like that piece of it 
Uh, and I certainly don't think that it's going anywhere. It's here to stay for sure. Yeah. So I guess the last thing that we'll talk about uh, before we wrap this episode up uh, is a little bit about, you know, some of the other things, any other interesting hybrid ministry like things that uh, or pandemic ministry things that have been going on and, and maybe a little bit about what's going on in the future for you. <laughs> yeah. So there's been a, a few interesting pieces that have been uh that have come up this fall in my ministry context. One is that our church council has been working with uh, the assistant to the bishop in our synod to do some ministry priorities and discerning where God is at and who we are as, as a congregation and really um one of the images that uh, Deacon Michelle, our assistant to the bishop, gave our council, which I really like, is, you know, we're going to get out of the basement and up onto the balcony. And it doesn't mean that we're not going to stay in the balcony forever. We'll get back to the basement. We'll get back to the nitty gritty details of ministry. But we are going to come up to the balcony so we can get an overview of what's happening. And and I think doing that work and beginning this work together as we've been entering into um, regathering in person has also shifted the way in which we are thinking about ministry and, and setting our priorities for community and in community together, which has been really interesting. The other pieces that have come up um, are the opportunities to be doing more things outdoors we have the benefit of a lot of outdoor space in a large parking lot which uh, many churches where we are located don't have the benefit of but just a few weeks ago for Halloween we tried a trunk or treat for the first time and just had a blast just had a really great time um, being able to gather together outdoors safely uh, with people from all different age um, levels and interests. And some people came for the whole time. Some people just popped in to say hi. Um, but everybody who came was able to get some candy and see kids in costume and connect with one another. And so it's just been really great to be able to start doing those things again together. Yeah. We, we've had some uh, pretty cool things like we did confirmation uh, for we share it with two other congregations and we did eight weeks of confirmation this fall. And so the three sessions that I did, um, we were in person with the class. But, you know, as we have a reality of the pandemic, there were often one or two or more students who were unable to attend often because they were isolating because of COVID exposures. And so I just also Zoom recorded. So we had a hybrid in-person Zoom recording class or Zoom attending class, uh, which was kind of a neat thing to think. It was actually really easy to include uh, at least confirmation students who, who, whether they are in person or on Zoom, don't participate or ask questions. <laughs> Anyways, I mean, they did a little bit. 
but um so it was relatively easy to have them watching me either in person or on zoom and listening to the the short lesson that i had um and then we also started a, a care caller committee is what we're calling it at uh Sherd park and so we have a group of about 10 a committee of about 10 calling every member or every household of the congregation once every two to three months and you know i thought this was a great idea before uh, we had done it and it and well, what has been really surprising about it is that the fruit it has yielded immediately i made i have made connections because because of that initial just friendly call from a member of the congregation just to check in see how folks are doing see if they know that in-person services have resumed see if they're connected to the newsletter you know i've been adding people to the newsletter we have a baptism that's come from that i've had several phone calls with folks you know which is which is you know amazing levels of contact that a lot of these things would either not happen or they would take a long time to do that on my own to to find those connections and they would have required us to be in person because I just, you can't make those connections when you're not chitty chatting with people on Sunday morning or connecting those other ways. And so it's been really great to, to have this way to connect with the congregation um, and to be able to have those referrals and those places where I know, okay, so-and-so needs this, so-and-so should have a conversation, so-and-so wants to have a baptism, so-and-so wants to be part of the newsletter. And so it's been really good to to have that bear fruit immediately, and we're going to start, you know, our second round of of connections again uh, in a little bit here. And I haven't even told the committee about how how well it's been going so far. So I'm really excited for for that ministry. And we have a couple of small groups that are meeting on Zoom again. And interestingly, you know, none of this would have happened if it weren't for the pandemic. I think we would have been holding on to the old programs that we had been doing before. But now that we've been forced to be creative, there is an incredible amount of creativity in in the congregation, and we've been sort of we are far enough away from the other stuff that we had to let go of before that people are ready for new things because everything has been new for a whole year, and so this is the excitement of hybrid ministry is there is is there's a lot of opportunity. Uh, baked into having to be creative and try new things. And so it's a very exciting time, I think, for for the ministry of the church. I think it allows people the flexibility too, right? And um, the flexibility to try new things, the permission to try new things, and that it doesn't have to be forever. Exactly, right? That we are experimenting. And we know that it's not going to be forever because the pandemic has taught us not to plan for forever. Plan for three weeks. <laughs> mm. Plan until the plan until the public health orders are up for renewal, right? And and then assess and and plan from there on. So we've been doing some planning for this upcoming season, and one of the things that we have wanted to do for a long time and are going to be doing uh, this season is bringing in some backup so you can anticipate hearing uh, from some guests on the podcast this season um, but in particular we're going to be bringing in some uh, 
recurring voices. Um, we'll have two segments that will come up throughout the season. One is called Ask Anita with Reverend Anita Devi Saroop, who serves at Spirit of Life Lutheran Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. And our other recurring segments we have lovingly called OK Boomer with Reverend Elaine Sauer, who is the incumbent here at St. Chad's Anglican here in Winnipeg and uh, is also the former bishop of the Emino Synod. So we're really looking forward to conversations with them as well as some other guests on the show. So uh, if you want to tell us what's been going on for you ministry-wise, uh, you can find us where on social media? Where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Reedman Parker, on Instagram at C Reedman Parker, or on Facebook at Courtney Reedman Parker, or at my church's page, which is Messiah Lutheran Winnipeg or MessiahLutheran.ca. You can find me at Parker Eric on Twitter, uh, at something or other on Instagram, or on uh, the Millennial Pastor on Facebook. Uh, Sherwood Park Lutheran Church on Facebook, Eric Reedman Parker on Facebook, or the millennialpastor.net, where you can find the blog that inspired this podcast. The Millennial Pastors podcast is made possible by a grant from the Manitoba Northwestern Ontario Synod whom you can find at mnosynod.org. The Millennial Pastors podcast is written and produced by us, the Reverend Courtney Reedman Parker and the Reverend Eric Parker, with our theme song provided by Lutheran Outdoor Ministry in Alberta and the North, all other music provided by audionautics.com. This has been a couple of hybrid pastors for a church in identity crisis. We will see you on the other side. Bye for now. <laughs>